Amen. You may be seated. Oh, so good to see your faces today. And, and I wish I could look through online and see all of your faces and into, enter into your homes and, and just greet you personally, but just know that you're loved and I'm so glad that you're joining us today. We are in a series, The Gospel of John, and uh, the reason that we're doing this is it says in John chapter 20, verse 31, that the gospel was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing, you may have life in his name. That you may have life in his name. I want that life. I have that life. But there are people out there that don't have that life. They don't have the life of Jesus in them. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you're watching, and, and maybe you're not even sure who Jesus is, and you've stumbled upon this or whatever. I'm so glad you're here today, because Jesus loves you, and it's not an accident that you're listening today or watching online or in this room even. But God loves you, and he has a purpose, I believe, for your life. You weren't created by accident, but he formed you in your mother's womb to be here today and to be who you are. My wife and I have a love-hate relationship with something called exercise. Can anyone else relate to that love-hate relationship? Some hands going up there. And we, uh, you know, how many of you have been frustrated with the gyms being closed? Anyone? Amen. I see some amens. Hear some amens. Yeah, it's been frustrating, but hopefully they're open tomorrow and life will get a little bit better. We'll be able to sweat a little bit more creatively. But we have been doing this thing uh, in Wenatchee on a canal called running. And maybe you're familiar with it. It's where your feet move pretty good and, and your arms move. And, and uh, it, it is a love-hate relationship. But we, we have moved to the canal because it's softer than concrete. And as you get older, the knees start hurting more and, and soft is good. We like softer so we end up being on the canal, and, and of course now there's patches of snow and ice, so we get our, our studs on the tracks, and we, off we go. And we generally uh, have a route that we take. Uh, you know, we start at my brother's house, which is right on the canal, and we park there, we get up, and we make our run uh, down to Western Avenue, and then we run back, um, all the way back up to uh, Maiden Lane, and, um, and then generally we run back to my, my brother's house. But occasionally, every once in a while, one of us will be feeling pretty good about the run. And so when we get to Maiden Lane, and, and if you turn left, you go up the hill to Broadview. Occasionally, one of us will look at the other person and just point up the hill. And you know what that means? That means that they're doing pretty good, and they want to take the hill today. And so it's always this, as we get to Broadview, and I don't know, Steph, if you feel this way, my beautiful wife, uh, I wonder if I will see you go like this. My heart starts pounding a little bit heavier because I think she's going to go like this, which means we're going to have an extra mile uphill. Or it might be me. Maybe she's running, and I'm feeling a little bit better that day, and I point up the hill. And I always think when she points up the hill, I always think, I don't know if I can do this. We're talking up a hill. 
I, I don't want to do this. This is not fun. Hallelujah. She's doing good. She's obviously feeling good. I, every step is a, a slog for me today. But here's the thing. We start journeying up the hill together. And we make it. And not only that, we get up there, and there's an incredible view of the valley. And then we get a downhill. That's always the good news, downhill, right? And we come back down, and we end the run. And I'm always glad we did it when we're done. We're studying the gospel of John, not just so that you can show up and, and, and hear a story or two or, or, or listen to the, the scripture and me expound on it a little bit, but there's a reason that we're studying the gospel of John, and it, it's, it's right there in verse 31 of chapter 20. John was written so that we would have tools to share the life of Jesus with people. And so today, you know, you, you, you've made your run, you've, you've went down to Western, you're back to Maiden Lane, and if you leave today, you know, and you, you've grown in your understanding of Scripture, you've worshiped the Lord, it's good. But I just feel like today Jesus is going, go further. I'm going to make a challenge for you today. I want you, we're going to talk about, we're going to be in John chapter 2, as you can see up there, 13 through 17. is going to be kind of our key verse today, key, key section of Scripture. I want you to commit to sharing this story with someone this week. Or maybe if you were here last week and we talked about running out of wine, share that story. But these are not just stories for you to hear. They're, sh they're stories for you to share. Because John wrote this, and the way he wrote it was so that it could be shared. And so I just want to challenge you this week. Find some way, some connecting point in this story to share the message of John chapter 2 this week. It just, when you're with someone and you feel the Holy Spirit uh, prompting you, just imagine Jesus going, you can do it. He will empower you to do it, and it's good. So we are going to start in John chapter 2. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Now, I want to stop there and just talk to you a little bit about the money changers that were doing business. There were merchants, and there were money changers. And they were in a place called the Court of the Gentiles. It was the outer court of the temple. It was the place where everyone was welcome. And even non-Jewish people were welcome in the outer court. Uh, if they wanted to come worship Jehovah, even if they weren't Jewish, they could be there. It was a place um, that everyone could show up. Now, it was Passover, so it was very chaotic. And, and what they were doing, the merchants were selling animals. 
They were selling oxen, sheep, and doves. Why were they selling animals? Because in order to be right with God, you had to sacrifice these animals. You see, the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In other words, there needed to be an atonement for your sin. And so these merchants were selling these animals. But what they were doing was horrible. Because what they were doing was they were jacking up the prices on these animals. Not only that, but if you showed up, see, people were coming from all over because it was the time of the Passover, so people were coming from all over the region to the temple to sacrifice. And, and so when you came from this region, your money looked a certain way. And when you came from this region, your money looked a certain way. And when you came from over here, your money looked a, a different than over there. And so when you brought it to the outer court, you had to exchange your money, which perhaps had an, an idol on it or a, a, a person's face, perhaps Caesar if it was Roman. And that, of course, could not be accepted. And so you would have to exchange that money for the temple money that could be accepted in the temple. So not only were they charging outrageous prices for these sacrifices, but in order to even buy the sacrifice, they had to pay money just to exchange for the right currency. That's what's happening. So there's all these merchants and money changers in the outer court. And there's all this chaos going on. People changing their money. Can you imagine the, the sounds of the sheep and the oxen and the doves and the noise and the chaos? And that's where Jesus walks into. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Mark's gospel adds this statement. Is it not written, my house, the temple, my house, will be called a house of what? Of prayer. For who? All nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. You see that outer court, the court of the Gentiles, was a place that all were welcome. It was a place 
where they could connect with God. It was a place that they could bring their sin and get atonement and be right with God and connect with him. Because we were all created to connect with God. All of us, not a single person, does not have that instinct to worship. Now, we may worship a lot of different things, sports, a career. Everyone worships something because we were created to worship. But this was the place, the hollowed ground where they could actually connect with God himself. And there's Jesus watching this chaos, this confusion, this greed. And it says he was fashioning whips as he watched. The Psalms are a great book in the Bible about people that are needing to connect with God, people that are in distress or people that are hurt. And they're very relatable. As a matter of fact, I've found myself so enjoying the Psalms this year because I, I feel like I can connect so well. And maybe you can connect with some of these. Like, for example, Psalms 31.10 says, I am consumed by grief. Misery drains my strength. I don't know if some of you have lost someone this year, but you know what it's like to be consumed by grief where you're just surrounded and it seems like your very strength is gone. Or maybe Psalm 69 too. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. The floods overwhelm me. I am worn out. Please help. Or maybe Psalms 10.1. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I need you the most? And why do the wicked seem to get away with cursing you? <laughs> maybe this one. Psalm 3, verse 7. God, slap my enemies in the face. Psalm 103 says, God is like a father to his children, tender, compassionate. He understands how weak we are. We have this urge, this desire inside of us to connect with God, especially when we are hurting or especially when we are suffering we have this desire to connect with him. And this very space was a place for connection with God. This very outer court was the place it happened. It was a place where you could go and cry out to him and connect. Sadly, there were some barriers. Two in particular that I want to talk about one this week and one next week that prevented people from being able to connect with God. And these barriers, I believe, are still barriers that we have today that they still prevent us from connecting with God. 
They block our communication with him. The first one is one that is very close to home for me. It's condemnation. It's feeling shame. It's feeling less than. It's a place where you feel like you are a failure. You see, because in this place, in this outer court, where everyone was supposed to be welcomed, because this is the place that is a place of prayer for all nations, everyone, and it was not. It was not a place for everyone. As a matter of fact, can you imagine as you had to show up, and maybe you didn't have much of a mechanism for being able to make a lot of money, and maybe you didn't have all that much. And interestingly enough, there's no, there's no description here of there being flour to purchase, which was an allowance in Scripture if you were so poor that you could, you could bring an ephah, isn't that a fun word, a flower. Maybe, maybe there wasn't flour there, I don't know. But can you imagine being someone, through whatever the circumstances you were given, you did not have much of a means to be able to purchase these sacrifices? <clears throat> As a matter of fact, the reason that there were ox and sheep and doves was because some people could not afford the ox and could not afford the sheep. All they could afford were the doves. But can you imagine showing up, wanting to be able to connect with God, wanting to be able to gain forgiveness and atonement so you'd be right with God to be able to connect with Him? And you show up and you recognize that you now have to pay just to get the right money to buy a dove, which now you can't afford because you don't have the money because they've inflated the prices so much. How would you feel? Have you ever been in that place where you feel less than? You feel that everyone else has it together, but you don't have it together? You feel rejected? Maybe shame that you can't even purchase this dove? Can you imagine Jesus watching the poor show up to the place where if anyone needed to connect with God, it would be those who were most needy? And he saw them, some of them probably walking away because they could not afford what was being asked of them. And he saw all this chaos, and he saw the shame and rejection, condemnation. All they wanted was to connect with God. And they were made to feel unworthy, less than. I think that's why Jesus singled out the selling of the doves. He singled them out. 
Because that's the one thing where even the poor should be able to buy. And they couldn't. They couldn't afford it. And I don't know about you, but I, I have felt that way before. I have felt shamed. I felt condemned by this year. So many times this year. Listen, as one of your pastors here, this whole pandemic, I've not made all the right decisions. <laughs> I've failed. I have not always chosen correctly. And I'm sorry. And please forgive me when, as a leader, I have chosen wrong. Know that my heart is right. My heart is for you. But I've not always chosen well. And I've made mistakes. And so many times this year, I felt condemned. I felt like a failure. I felt rejected. I felt shame. And it took me to a place that was so hard. It almost took me away from God. See, that's what condemnation does. It, it actually removes you from the one that can actually help you. And in case you're wondering how Jesus felt about all of this, he made whips, overturned tables, and drove out money changers and the animal merchants. That's what he did. Jesus is passionate about connecting with you. Oh, please hear this. We don't see anything like this anywhere else in Scripture, do we? When Jesus himself was threatened, we call it the passion, don't we? Isn't it? We call it the passion. It's not the, we, we think it's the passion because um, Jesus was so passionate about dying for you. That's not why it's called the passion. Passio. It means passive. You see, up to the point of the cross, Jesus was active. He was healing. He was preaching. He was teaching. He was discipling. He was confronting. But not at the cross. The passion means he entered into passivity. There was no more action. Things were done to him. And he allowed it. He allowed it. When he could have stopped it at any time. As a matter of fact, when they came and asked, are you he? And he says, I am. And they all fell. At any moment, legions of angels could have taken care of anything he wanted. But he didn't do it. Why? Because he wants to connect with you. That's why he endured the cross. That's why he allowed soldiers to beat him and whip him, nail him to a cross. He wants to connect with you. But condemnation will keep us from that. I want to talk about the difference between condemnation versus 
conviction. See, condemnation reminds you of who you are not. Listen to me. Condemnation says who you are not. When those folks showed up and maybe they couldn't buy the sacrifices, oh, you're a failure. You're less than. You're not enough. See, that's what condemnation does. It, it says you're not good enough. You're not this. You're not that. That's what condemnation does. It leads you a place that says it's hopeless. There's no hope. And I don't know if maybe you've ever been in a place like that where you feel like there's no hope. But often when you are condemned, when you feel condemned, when you feel less than, when you feel rejected, you know what? It often leads you right back to the same old sin pattern that you were a part of before. Because you're focusing on what you're not. See, conviction is different. Conviction tells you who you are. Shame is part of condemnation. And it destroys your connection with God. Because the reality is, are any of us godly 100% of the time? Has anyone made it? Anyone in here? Anyone? You see, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says also that if you say you have no sin, you're lying. And the truth is not in you. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the reality of where we are. All of us fall short of God's glory, or we wouldn't need Jesus. And condemnation continues to tell you that you are a failure. Conviction reminds you who you are. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit, and it tells you who you are in Christ. You see, conviction reminds you that you are more than a conqueror. Conviction reminds you that overwhelming victory is yours in Christ Jesus. Conviction reminds you that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Conviction will remind you that he who confesses his sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. You see, conviction says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Conviction tells you who you are. See, condemnation focuses on the sin. Conviction focuses on the Savior. And when your mind is focused on your sin and the the frustration and the failure, you end up going back to that very old pattern. But when you become intimate with Jesus and close to Jesus, it is that nearness to God that allows us to break the patterns of sin. You see, it's never been my list of do's and don'ts that's ever allowed me to break sin. It's been living up close to Jesus. That's what's allowed me to do it. His Holy Spirit in me has allowed me to overcome sin. But even in our overcoming sin, we are not ever going to be sinless. We will all fall short. Accept that. Jesus has taken all of our sin and he's thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness to remember it no more. 
there's a good hallelujah that should be arising in this room after that. It is not your perfection that he is after because you can't give it. It's not perfection, it's direction. Are you getting up close to Jesus? Are you allowing him to convince you of who you are? Condemnation separates you from God, but conviction believes intimacy with Jesus actually produces change. Condemnation says you are a failure. Listen to this. Condemnation says you are a failure. Conviction says you have failed. It's a difference. See, one is indicting who you are. But Jesus, if you believe him, if you've accepted his love, his grace, his forgiveness, you've been washed clean. And he loves you. And he wants to connect with you. That's why this was so important to him that you understand this. Every three weeks, I get an infusion of IgG antibodies And every three weeks, they stick uh, an IV in my arm, and they have a tube going to an IV pump. And for five hours, this thing pumps this IgG into my system. And it's a great day because the Lord forces me to sit still, be still before the Lord. And yet... uh, you know, there are things I need to do, and so I will get up, and I, I can't really roll the pump because it's horrible, wheels, and I've got uneven surfaces. So I lift the pump, and I carry it wherever I'm going. And I do this for five hours. And then the nurse comes and says, hey, you're done. Hallelujah, it's over. And she takes that IV out. And you know what? For a, a good hour, I still, still feel tethered to that pump. I still feel like I can't go anywhere. I still feel like I'm still connected to that pump because I've spent so much time connected to that pump that I feel like I'm still there, even though I'm not. Even though there's no tube, there's no needle in my arm, there's no pump going, I've even put the pump away, I still feel tethered to the pump. And that's what condemnation wants you to feel. Still tethered to your sin. Even after you've confessed it and you've been given forgiveness and grace, condemnation still speaks in your head and says you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You're a failure. Even though you've been set free. Jesus saw people in this outer court feeling condemned. And these money changers and these merchants were heaping it on them, and they didn't care. And Jesus became so righteously indignant that he drove them out. And man, that's what we all need. We all need to know that Jesus really does care that you connect with him, 
that he forgives your sin, even though sometimes your mind still feels tethered to it, you've been forgiven. Man, I, I don't know who needs to hear that today. Someone in here, someone watching, someone listening feels like they have done something so bad, so wrong, and you're still tethered to it. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you from all unrighteousness. You are not a failure. You may have fallen, but you see, conviction says you might have fallen, but you get back up again. The Bible says a righteous man falls how many times? Seven times. Isn't it interesting that it first calls him a righteous man, then it says he falls? That means when he fell the first time, he was righteous. When he fell the second time, he was righteous. When he fell the third time, he was righteous. What makes us righteous is not our perfection. It's Jesus' perfection. And this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening to this, know that to trust in him, to trust in Jesus. He is passionate about you connecting with him. You were created to connect with your Father, and Jesus is the way. He is the only way to the Father. It's through the Son, and he wants you to know that today. I want to close with this scripture. The good news of the cross is that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. There's three things about this verse. Worship team, you guys can come on up. There is now, now. Why is that word in there? I used to wonder, why did they put that word in there? It seems like an extra word. There is now, no. It's because it is immediate. It is immediate. When you accept Jesus, it is immediate. Your sins are gone. It is immediate, but it's also complete. There is now no condemnation. It is immediate. It is complete. But the last one is this. It is conditional. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He is the only way. He lived the sinless life. Condemnation comes in so many forms. Maybe some of you have heard this story before, but when I was a, a, a freshman in high school, it was the start of school. School had been going for about a week. It was a private school, private Christian school, actually. And uh, before the day started, as we were just getting ready to start our opening class, the principal walked in and said, I want to introduce to you two people who are new to our school. The first one came in, and, and we all recognized him. He had gone to our school before. He was very popular, very outgoing, very, um, everyone loved him. 
and man, when we saw him walk in, everyone clapped and, and, and so excited to see him. And then, and then she said, and the next person, and she said, this is, this is Andy. And Andy walked in, and no one knew him. And unlike Corey, um, he, he didn't have on the right clothes and didn't shop at the right places. And as a matter of fact, when he introduced himself, it was apparent that um, he couldn't uh, pronounce his R's very well. And I remember thinking about the contrast between the two people and how one was so accepted and the other was so shunned. And I would like to be able to tell you that um, it was just that day and we didn't know Andy and, and, and once we got to know him, all was well, but that wasn't the case. As a matter of fact, um, it became the sport of our class to make fun of Andy. To make fun of the fact he couldn't pronounce his R's, to imitate his voice, to make fun of his clothing. Of course, we didn't know that Andy came from a very troubled home, a very rough environment, that he didn't have um, a family that was able to take him to the places that we all thought he should shop at. There wasn't a whole lot of money in that house. Nor did we know the struggles he faced, some of the abuses he faced. I remember one day during PE class, uh, I remember someone just out of sheer cruelty took a basketball and shoved it in his face. He didn't wear shorts, he just wore his jeans because they couldn't afford that. And uh, I remember feeling so bad for him. I had gotten to know him a little bit better than most, maybe. Discovered he loved comic books, which I also loved. So he became a fast friend. And I remember on that day, I remember um, going into the bathroom to help clean him up. And he felt condemned. He felt condemnation. Not even because he had ever done anything. He just he felt less than failure. Didn't have the right clothes. Didn't say the right things. Couldn't pronounce his R's. Didn't have the right friends. And I remember cleaning him up that day and just feeling so horrible that anyone could be treated like this and, and felt so horrible that he felt like a failure. It wasn't many weeks after that that we were at a camp. And I remember uh, me and a couple other friends, ironically, one of the, the, the friends that was also introduced that day, me, Corey, and Daryl took Andy into a cabin. And he was led to the Lord. And I saw him go from someone who lived under condemnation and who every day felt like a failure 
I saw him move from that person to a person that irregardless of what he wore, irregardless of how he talked, he felt loved. He, his life changed. I could see it all over him. <laughs> Probably about a month later, same principal walks in the room still before classes officially started. And she said, Andy won't be joining us today. You see, he had to walk a long ways to a bus stop every morning to school. And on that day, a drunk driver had killed him. There's a lot of broken hearts that day. Most were because they were part of that condemnation. Mine was because I lost a friend. And I remember that night. There are certain moments in our lives where we remember exactly where we were. We remember how the sky looked. We remember what the weather was. This was one of those nights. And I remember saying to God, how could you do this? How could you take Andy, of all people? And I remember the voice of the Lord speaking to me, saying, He is with me now. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more condemnation. He is in pure love. You know, I see now how God orchestrated certain things to, to lead Andy to the Lord, to lead him to himself. And maybe you're here today. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? I want you to think about your life. Please, please, do not be a part of the world that condemns. people up. Let your love be so out loud that they see Jesus in you. Oh, it's easy to judge. It's easy to condemn. But remember, let the one without sin cast the first stone. All of us need a Savior. So when you leave today, leave with love like Jesus had love. Be bold enough to share Jesus with someone this week. Don't just hear this story and say, you know, Jesus was so passionate about forgiveness and about connecting with you. This is what he did. Tell the story. But don't, don't leave here with the ability to heap condemnation on someone. But instead, tell them the true story of the gospel. That while we were sinners, all of us, Jesus died for us. Maybe you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior. 
you have been living under condemnation feeling like a failure feeling worthless feeling less than understand this Jesus did not come to condemn you he came to save you and he's here now he's here today this is the moment that can change your life forever. If you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching online, this is your day. Would you just pray this prayer? Jesus, thank you for being so passionate about connecting with me. That you came you lived a perfect life because I couldn't. And I receive your forgiveness today. I choose to become a child of God. I receive you as my Savior. And I put my trust in you. And I will live for you all the rest of my days. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love. Now would you speak to me? You promised to fill me with your Holy Spirit so that you wouldn't just be outside of me, but you would be in me and I would feel you and I would hear you. Thank you for doing that right now. In your name we pray. Amen. God, we thank you that you're here. We want to worship you. Jesus, thank you for being passionate about connecting with us. And now, receive our passion to connect with you. Come on, would you stand and let's worship you now.